Today on the Matt Wall Show, a fully weaponized FBI raids the home of a former president and future 2024 opponent. Is this a totally unprecedented and shocking turn of events, as most people on the right are saying? Or is it a totally predictable turn of events in a country where all of our institutions have been captured by the far left? Also, speaking of captured institutions, the Democrats are building an army of IRS agents to make your life miserable. Plus, a mom looks on and cheers as her child works the stripper pole at a Pride event. That and many other important topics we're going to talk about today. But first, uh, I want to talk to you about something. You know, we started the Matt Wall Show in my car. We did the first many shows just like that. It was a low-tech, low-budget, lo-fi operation back in those days, talking into a webcam from 1995. I think I had the budget of uh, 50 cents and a toothpick, basically. And it was just me in a random parking lot, um, screaming at my dashboard, confusing all the other Walmart shoppers. And the worst thing is that no one ever told me I had a terrible haircut back then. I don't know how my wife let me out of the house like that. But eventually she invited me back into the house and we moved into a home studio. And an odd thing started to happen is that people started watching and listening and we started to grow and eventually we moved out here to Nashville and that's when things really started to take off. Over the last year, thanks so much to all of you we have become the fastest growing conservative podcast in the country, uh, one, of the fa- one, of the, one of the biggest news commentary podcasts in the country, one of the biggest podcasts, period. We've got the best documentary of the year. We've got an a, a LGBT best-selling children's book. We're saving Abuelas. We're saving Virginia. We're doing all of that. But here's the great thing. We're just getting started. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. The Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe is a huge, albeit long overdue, step in the right direction, but there's still a long way to go to rid our country of abortion. Many companies are bowing to the woke mob by donating to pro-choice causes and candidates or reimbursing their employees' travel expenses so that if they live and work in a pro-life state, they can travel to a pro-abortion state and get an abortion and be back at work on Monday because that's what, of course, these companies really care about. Well, what if I told you that if you're currently on a phone plan with one of the major carriers, you might be supporting these companies and their pro-abortion agenda with your monthly phone bill. Don't let abortionists use your money to fund policies you don't believe in. Switch to Charity Mobile instead. Charity Mobile is a pro-life, pro-family cell phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to the pro-life charity of your choice. You don't have to compromise on values or good phone service. You can get it all with Charity Mobile. Charity Mobile offers the latest 5G phones, no device or service contracts, great nationwide coverage, and live customer service base right here in the USA. The fight for the right to life continues, and pro-life causes need your support. You can help by simply switching your cell phone company today to Charity Mobile. Call 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. Mention offer code Walsh to redeem a free cell phone offer. That's charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. Welcome to the Matt Walsh Show. We couldn't think of a better way to celebrate our 1,000th episode than by unveiling our brand new studio. This is an actual real studio. It's not a sheet uh, that's even as a real banjo behind me, which, as you know, I can really play. So we've come, we've come a long way, and we aren't even close to done yet. But there are um, considerably less joyous events happening this week across the country, unfortunately, starting with the news that uh, broke last night that agents with the FBI, 30 of them reportedly, raided the Florida home of former President Donald Trump. Now, news of the raid first came from Trump himself, who issued a statement saying, in part, Quote, these are dark times for our nation as my beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raided, and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. 
After working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. Trump added that the FBI henchmen had even broken into his safe, though his son Eric reported that uh, they found nothing of interest inside it, but they broke into it anyway. So what were they looking for? Well, the New York Times, passing along the regime-approved version of events, says that the FBI conducted this operation in order to recover classified material that Trump had allegedly brought to his house after leaving the White House. Reading from the Daily Wire, reported says, agents with the Federal Bureau of Investigation executed a search warrant Monday at the Florida home of former President Donald Trump that appeared to be connected to classified material that was allegedly at the home. The investigation is, quote, focused on material that Trump had brought to him, uh, brought with him to Mar-a-Lago, his private club and residence, after he left the White House, according to the New York Times report. Those boxes contain many pages of classified documents. Multiple reports later confirmed that the raid was connected to the missing White House records. The report said that Trump delayed returning more than a dozen boxes of material to the National Archives, which included documents that were, quote, marked as classified national security information. Uh, so the Federal Bureau of Investigation took the historically unprecedented, absolutely unheard of, mind-boggling step of raiding the home of a former United States president all on behalf of the National Archives. Now, leaving aside the fact that other very prominent former White House officials, Hillary Clinton comes to mind, have been caught up in scandals involving their handling of classified materials and yet never have been raided by the FBI as a result, uh, even leaving that aside, this explanation makes little sense for the simple fact that Donald Trump as president could declassify literally any document he wanted whenever he wanted. As the chief executive, that's a power that he had. Now, does this mean that Joe Biden reclassified the documents and then promptly had, uh, you know, sent the feds to raid his predecessor's home on that pretext? Well, perhaps, but the operative word here is pretext. This, of course, has nothing really to do with the National Archives or classified documents. Um, this raid is two things. One, it's a fishing expedition in hopes of turning up something, you know, a bit more explosive than an alleged potential violation of the Presidential Record Act. Act. And, uh, and two, this is a shot across the bow. This is an exercise of might. This is an act of political warfare. It's a statement, an announcement that we live now in a third world banana republic. The FBI, along with all of our federal law enforcement agencies, along with the entire DOJ, um, has long since been ideologically captured by the left. All the complaints about double standards and so on, all that comes back to this. No, the, the DOJ won't do anything about Democrat corruption. It wouldn't do anything about Hillary Clinton. It won't even take a second glance at the current president's crack-addled son. Won't do any of that. It certainly won't prosecute any of the people in Epstein's little black book. Have you noticed that? That um, even years later, still to this day, none of the people who were involved in Epstein's sex trafficking uh, business have been arrested or charged with anything. Now, um, the FBI has a long history of showing no interest in apprehending sex traffickers, especially, and serial rapists. Let's not forget the agents who knew that Larry Nassar was raping the girls on the Olympic gymnastics team and did nothing at all to stop it, and then later lied about what they knew. The DOJ, always looking out for its own, 
then declined to prosecute those agents, of course. A few months ago, activists in D.C. uncovered physical evidence that an abortion clinic in the city was murdering fully developed children, already born fully developed children. This is infanticide, the, the systemic, systematic slaughter of infants. The DOJ refused to investigate. No F FBI raid was conducted. Maybe they'll wait 30 years like they did with Kermit Gosnell before they finally decide to look into that, into the situation. The DOJ has no interest in any of these crimes, but it'll bring down its wrath on its political enemies, starting with Trump, but certainly not ending with him. I mean, at least Trump has money and fame and a loyal following, all things that give him some amount of protection. No, though obviously not complete protection. The PTA parents recently labeled domestic terrorists by this same Department of Justice don't have any of that insulation. And, and so we see that as a consequence of the ideological capture of the institution, we cannot really say that there is a double standard because there is in fact one standard. They will try to destroy you if you oppose them politically. That's the standard. That's the overarching principle that the FBI and, and, uh, and all the rest of the federal law enforcement agencies believe in. And they actually follow that, prin that principle with rigid consistency. But here's the point. This goes far beyond the Department of Justice. The fact is that all of our institutions are being held hostage by the left. All of them. They are all being eaten alive from the inside by the same disease. Every institution, from academia to the medical industry to the churches and everything in between. One cannot help but, uh, but take note of, of the timing of this raid, actually, because it comes only a day after the Democrats passed the bill, which would see the IRS doubled in size with 87,000 new agents hired. If there was ever any question about what this new fleet of tax goons will be doing, well, I think those questions are answered now after what happened at Trump's house. They will be focused, just as they were under Obama, on tracking, harassing, pilfering, and plundering from the enemies of the regime and from the middle, the middle class generally, which the regime considers its enemy. This, again, is how every institution operates in this country, every single one. They all have their guns, whether literal or figurative or both, pointed in the same direction, pointed at us. So what can we do about it? Well, here's what we don't do. We don't simply whine about double standards and then just leave it at that. As if we've achieved something merely by calling our opponents hypocrites, as if the charge means anything to them, like they care. If you, have, if you haven't noticed, when you say to the left, oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites, they don't care. doesn't mean anything to them. You know, we don't... Um, we don't do that. We don't become impotent fatalists and doomers, naysaying all efforts to improve our situation, insisting that nothing will ever get better, all is lost, woe is me, etc. We don't do any of that. What we should do instead is fight back with a ferocity, intensity, and ruthlessness that may have seemed distasteful to conservatives in years past, and some conservatives even still today but they're going to have to get over their squeamishness. Part of that fight, though certainly not the whole fight, but part of it is political. That means ensuring that the red wave indeed comes to pass in 2022. 
But more than simply electing Republicans generally, we must specifically elect the sort of Republicans who have the gumption to act decisively and wield their legal power, actually use it, rather than talking about using it, actually use the power that they have, and, and, and to do so in service to what is good and just and true. We need the kinds who will do all this in spite of the sustained attacks they're going to face. Now, I realize that the list of Republicans who fit this qualification is uh, somewhat limited. But this is the sort we must be looking for. And once they've taken power, we must push them to do more than hold hearings and assemble committees and all the rest of it. What we want to see, and we need to be very clear about this, is corrupt government officials arrested. Okay, so you can, you can have your hearing if you want, if it makes you feel better, but we want to see people in handcuffs arrested and frog-marched in front of cameras. We want to see entire agencies gutted and disassembled. We want to see a demolition derby, metaphorically speaking. And we should be very clear about that. Now let's get to our five headlines. You've heard me talk a lot on this show about how important it is to get your kids away from the public school system and and, uh, also mainstream kids' content. Marxism, socialism, critical race theory, and trans ideology, all of that is what we have to deal with. The left is pushing a persistent and loud attack on truth, and they're starting with your kids. There are a lot of ways you can protect your kids from these not-so-secret leftist agendas. You can homeschool. You can get them involved in a religious community. You can give them um, the right books to read, like my best-selling children's book, Johnny the Walrus. But one of the easiest and simplest ways to protect your children is to take five minutes tonight to write a will with Epic Will. A will gives you the power to say who will raise your kids should something happen to you and your spouse. It can, in certain cases, be the only legal defense standing between your kids and the persistent indoctrination attempts from the left. Epic Will is an online will platform that costs less than your next trip to the store. They can set you up with a will in as little as five minutes, and they can start at $119. That's it. Plus, you can save 10% when you go to epicwill.com and use code Walsh. Take five minutes tonight to write a will ensuring that your kids will be raised the way that you've intended in the event that something happens to you. Go to epicwill.com and use my code Walsh today. Well, as mentioned, the Democrats passed on Sunday their $740 billion inflation redoubling act. Uh, Part of this bill, I mean, the whole thing is a disaster, obviously, but the worst part is, like we talked about, the 87,000 new IRS workers that will be hired because of this. Um, And this is the Democrats' big election season push. This is their grand idea, okay? Heading into the midterm elections, this is what they've come up with. When we've got inflation, the economy is in shambles, um, people are living in cities, you know, afraid to leave their homes because of crime is running rampant and everything is falling apart. And the Democrats, their, their pitch to the voters heading into the midterm elections is, uh, oh, we're going to get more IRS agents and audit you. But they say that this is, um, that it's not what it appears to be, right? It's, uh, it appears to be a war on the middle class. Um, hiring more stooges to audit and pilfer middle-class middle class Americans. No, they say it's not that. The IRS will focus on, um, on rich people, they say. Except the problem is that every Democrat voted against an amendment requiring 
that the new IRS agents only audit companies and people who make over $400,000 a year. So they could have put that into the bill in an amendment saying that all these new IRS workers that we're bringing on, none of them are going to be concentrating on auditing middle class Americans. And given that the Democrats said that that was this, their intention the whole time was to not do anything with the middle class, then they should have signed on the dotted line for that amendment, but they didn't. Every Democrat voted against it because their actual intentions are quite clear. Senator Ben Cardin, though, of uh, a Democrat of Maryland, says that even so, okay, maybe they're going to focus on the middle class. Maybe we're all going to get audited, but uh, there's, there's still, there's nothing to worry about. Let's listen to his reassuring words. Can you understand how 87,000 new IRS agents would scare the heck out of millions of Americans? Well, millions of Americans aren't going to be impacted by that other than getting better service from the IRS, having their telephone answered, getting the questions they need in order to comply with our tax laws. The auditing is going to be focused on those of high income, the large corporations, etc. So uh, there's no reason to be fearful. And if you have paid your taxes and if you comply with our laws, you should want to make sure everyone else does that. Ah, well, what are you worried about? If you have nothing to hide, then there's nothing to worry about. You know, if you paid all your taxes, nothing to worry about. As if, as if a, you know, an audit is just a pleasant, even enjoyable experience if you've paid all of your taxes. Of course, there's a very good chance that, uh, uh, especially if, if your income is not solely from, if, if, you, if, you, if you have, you know, if you only make W-2 income, then more than likely, you know, your audit's going to come back okay. Although it's still not going to be a fun process. But if you have some non-W-2 income, then, uh, you know, there's, there's a relatively decent chance that you've made a mistake here or there. You've, you know, you've, you've whatever, you've lost some paperwork or something. So what, what, what they're proposing here is that there are like two categories of people, right? There are the honest, good people who pay all their taxes and, and, uh, and every last penny. And then there are the tax dodges and the tax cheats and who intentionally are uh, defrauding the IRS for millions of dollars every year. Like those are the two categories. Of course, there's a lot of room in between. And a lot of middle class people find themselves in the in-between area. But again, even if you have paid all your taxes... An audit is a miserable, incredibly stressful experience. There's a reason why it's used. You know, it's it's the, the term is used. We use it like we use the term root canal, just to just as a as a stand-in for a miserable. That's what the that's what the that's almost the definition of the term now is a miserable experience. An audit. Um. But Ben Cardin says that oh no, really, it's just going to be better service. Right, because that's what you want from the IRS, is better service. They're going to answer your phone calls. First of all, on the answering phone calls bit, let me, let me just be clear about one thing. It doesn't matter how many IRS agents they have. I mean, right now they've got 76,000 people working at the IRS. And if you try to call the IRS, nobody's answer. You're not going to call the number that they have available uh, that you can find on a website. And you call up, oh, IRS, and someone just picks up the phone. Hey, IRS speaking, who's there? So that doesn't happen now. You, hot, you double the size of the bureaucracy. No, it makes service worse, not better. This is something that we've all experienced, that the bigger, anytime, especially if you're trying to get in touch with someone, if you have a problem of some kind, 
And this goes for government agencies and also private companies as well, like the cable company or your cell phone carrier, whoever it is. The bigger the bureaucracy, the worse the service, the more difficult it is to actually talk to a human being. The more impossible it is to find someone who cares about your situation. And especially, the more impossible it is to find anyone who is accountable if a mistake is made. Because that's part of the reason, that's part of the point behind the enormous bureaucracies. It is to, you know, the, the bureaucracy grows. Bureaucracies grow because they're cancerous tumors and all they can do is grow, right? Um, unless they're given some, some very harsh treatment. Otherwise, they're going to grow. So they grow because that's what they do. But also they grow in order to insulate, it grows in order to insulate itself from accountability. The bigger, the, the more people that there are involved, then the more difficult it is to pinpoint who is responsible for any one individual thing. And if you're just some sap calling on the phone, then it's going to be totally impossible for you. So it's quite the opposite. It's not better service when you add more bureaucrats. It is worse service always, every time. But speaking of service, you know, you know the service that I want to see from the IRS? Um, I would like to see the IRS uh, disbanded. That's the service I want to see. Like self-destruction by the IRS. That, that's the, to me, that's good customer service. If I call up the IRS and they say, oh, we, sorry, we're, we're packing up. We, we're, uh, yeah, we're done with this whole thing. That's good service as far as I'm concerned. By the way, Colin Pruitt uh, posted this interesting graphic from 2019. And this is pretty, uh, this is pretty, I mean, this is stark here, okay? This is a stark illustration. So this shows where in the U.S. you're most likely to be audited by the IRS. And so you can look at it there. And of course, the darker red uh, then the more the more IRS that uh, the more audits that they have in that particular region of the country, and what you see is that it, it's kind of fascinating that this is also basically a map of the red states. It's a this this almost doubles as a map of of red states and also a map of where the most poor people live. Uh, now there are some exceptions, so there are a good amount of. Audits happening over in California, it would seem. But for the most part, you can see it there, and it's nothing but gray. You get up into the Northeast, and it's nothing but gray. It's fascinating how the Northeast Corridor, which is Boston, New York, Philly, Baltimore, Washington, not covered in red, even though that's where you're going to find the densest population in the, in the whole country. And that's where you're going to find a lot of rich people, too, living from Boston all the way down to D.C. Not a lot of red there. Isn't that fascinating? So the question we have now, um, heading into 2024, and I go back to what I said in the open, which potential candidate will not just complain about the 87,000 IRS agents, but will actually fire them? Not hold hearings. I've already heard, we've already heard from Republicans saying they're going to hold hearings. We're going to, we had so many hearings coming. Kevin McCarthy said, uh, you, you guys better get ready because when we're in charge, there's going to be some hearings. I tell you what, we're going to have all kinds of hearings. We're going to hear, we're going to be hearing a lot of stuff, okay? 
Um, no, I don't need hearings. I don't need ranting about it. I don't need tweets about it. I don't need anything like that. Are you going to do something about it? Are you going to actually fire these people? Okay, it's not going to be difficult to determine which of the, you know, once Republicans are in charge of the government, it's not going to be difficult to determine which IRS agents are part of the 87,000 crop. Are you just going to, boom, you're all gone, you're all fired. And further than that, which Republican is actually going to start calling for the abolition of the IRS completely? I mean, first of all, you want to talk about a popular position to take. You cannot get more popular than that to abolish the IRS. And it only sounds like pie in the sky, unthinkable, because we take for granted that the IRS exists and that we live in a country where there's an income tax and there's a withholding system. And, you know, the government, they take our paychecks and they take the bit that they want of our paychecks and they give us the, the remainder. So, like, they get their hands on our paycheck before we even do uh, so we take all that for granted. But it was not always this way. So this is a relatively new arrangement. And there are other ways of going about it. It's not as though if you don't have an IRS and you don't have an income tax, then the government has no way of taxing people. That obviously is not the case. You can go to a consumption-based tax system, which wouldn't necessarily require a centralized behemoth tax-collecting agency. When are we going to hear Republicans start talking about that is the question. Speaking of amendments to bills, I wanted to play this for you too. Uh, Marco Rubio tried to add his own amendment to a bill a few days ago, and it led to this rather fascinating exchange. Watch this. The senator from Florida, Mr. Rubio, moves to commit the bill H.R. 5376 to the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions of the Senate with instructions to report the same back to the Senate in three days, not counting any day in which the Senate is not in session, with changes that, one, are within the jurisdiction of such committee, and two, would contain a definition for the term pregnancy that limits maternal and infant-related program resources to biological females. Uh, Mr. Senator Pre from Florida is recognized. Mr. President, the only people who are capable of being pregnant are biological females. And therefore, I think federal, federal pregnancy programs should be limited to biological females, and that's what this would do. Well, thank you, Mr. President. Um, a few minutes ago, I looked back uh, across 5,500 years of human history. So far, every single pregnancy has been a biological female. And so therefore, the only thing I'm trying to do is make sure that federal law is clear that since Every pregnancy that's ever existed has been in a biological female that our federal laws reflect that and our pregnancy programs are available to the only people who are capable of getting pregnant. Biological females, very simple. I would accept a unanimous consent if they want to offer it and we can move on and not waste any time. Uh, Senator Murray has 10 seconds left. When we are facing the challenges we do in this country, when we're facing challenges in this country, and helping our constituents to lower costs, it is outrageous that Republicans are trying to define pregnancy of all things on this floor, on this day, after hours of voting on amendments. I urge a no vote. Outrageous. I mean, this is outrageous. To def she says we can't, we can't define pregnancy, she says. Um, now, I, I, I think that I appreciate the effort by Marco Rubio and and... At any time the Republicans uh, take advantage of an opportunity 
to highlight the fact that Democrats are a bunch of anti-science pagans. They're a bunch of lunatics, a gaggle of lunatics who believe that men can get pregnant and women have penises. I mean, absolutely take advantage of every conceivable opportunity to point that out. That's another hint going into 2022, 2024, as I've been saying forever. And some Republicans are finally starting to clue into this, though not enough. This is a winning issue. Uh, it's, even a, it's even a bigger winning issue than abolishing the IRS, although that would also be a winning issue. But uh, you know, speaking out against this insanity is a winning issue. And you're putting Democrats in a position that they absolutely don't want to be in, because what you have to remember is that very few of these people, though they are beholden to the radical left, though they've adopted this posture because they think they have to, very few of them actually believe any of the trans ideology stuff. Very few of them actually believe it. They have to pretend that they do. And they really wish they didn't have to pretend it. They don't like it that they have to pretend that they, they agree with it. Like, they don't enjoy, here's the thing, that you think they enjoy being held hostage by the trans militants? No, they don't like it. That's the position they put themselves in. And so any time we can make them even more uncomfortable in that position, then we should do that. So that part I like. And that's why I appreciate the effort. However, I don't think it's semantics to point out that you kind of, you, you ruin the whole thing when you use the term biological female instead of just saying woman. So it should have been an amendment, and obviously it wouldn't have passed this way either. It'd be even less likely to pass. But then at least you're making the point that you want to make. You know, if the amendment was to, to, to stipulate that maternity services are, are only given to women because only women can get pregnant, then you've made the point that you want to make. And then you've put the Democrats in the position of having to get up there and say, well, no, men can get pregnant too. When you say biological female, uh, you, you give them a lot of outs, first of all. Then you give them the opportunity to say, well, there's a difference between uh, bio of sex and gender and these things, and it's so complex and you can't possibly understand. So you give them that, that out when you use the term biological female instead of just saying woman. But also, and this is something I have to constantly remind myself as well, because um, it just becomes a habit to use terms like this. But when you say biological female, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a qualification that isn't necessary, and it makes it sound like there are other kinds of females. Well, this is a biological female. It's the same mistake that a lot of conservatives made and still make when they say traditional marriage as opposed to other types of marriages. Well, no, because the argument that you're trying to make is that marriage is a certain thing, it's defined a certain way, and there aren't any other types of it. This is just, just what marriage is. This is not the traditional form. This is not the biblical form. Um, this is just marriage. And so it's the same thing here. You know, if, if, you're, saying, if you're saying female, biological is not necessary. It's, it, it's like saying um, a, you know, a, a geometric circle. Well, yeah, I mean, true, right, it is a geometric circle, fine, but, that's, but if, if we're talking about geometry, we're talking about shape, so we don't really need the geometric part. It becomes confusing. It makes it sound like, okay, a geometric circle as opposed to what other kind of circle are we talking about? So uh, same thing here. And, and, that's, and, and it does, it, again, it might sound like semantics, but it's really not. You have to keep this in mind. 
You have to think carefully about the language that you're using. And unfortunately, these days, our language is full of booby traps. Because so many of the words and terms that we use that have been given to us by the culture, uh, they've been given to, to us by the left. And simply by using those terms, you're already surrendering the point that you're trying to refute. All right, I want to read this. This is from the New York Times, and I haven't really said uh, much, if anything at all, about this story. And one of the reasons is that, frankly, I just don't care all that much. But all the same, um, here's the latest. From the New York Times, it says, Immediately after a Moscow judge handed down Brittany Griner's nine-year prison sentence Thursday, calls grew louder for President Joe Biden to find a way to bring her home. The Reverend Al Sharpton said in a statement, we call on President Biden and the United States government to redouble their efforts to do whatever is necessary and possible. U.S. officials and analysts had been resigned to a guilty verdict for Griner, a basketball star who plays for a Russian team during the WNBA offseason. But the cold reality of her sentence on a drug charge was a shock and renewed calls for Biden to secure her release, even as critics fumed that offering to swap prisoners with Moscow rewards Russia and its hostage-taking practices. Um, the result is a painful quandary for the Biden administration as it tries to maintain a hard line against President Vladimir Putin and uh, so on and so forth. Now, a lot of people have said that this is um, unprecedented, you know, for an American citizen to get this kind of sentence for having drugs or drug paraphernalia in Russia. You know, this is unheard of and, 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 uh, and you know, Putin is doing this to make a political point or he's doing this because he wants a hostage for a for a prisoner swap. And both those things might be true, by the way. I mean, it's clearly part of what he has in mind. But even so, it's actually not unprecedented at all. Um, have you heard the name Mark Fogel? And I ask you that because I hadn't heard that name until just a couple of days ago when I happened to read an article about this. Um, Mark Fogel is an American citizen currently in, in a Russian prison right now on drug charges. 14 years in prison. And this is a recent thing, too. This is not from years ago. So this BBC article says, a Russian court has sentenced a former U.S. diplomat to 14 years in prison for large-scale cannabis smuggling. Mark Fogel had previously worked at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, but was employed as an English teacher in the city at the time of his arrest. Fogel was sentenced in the same jurisdiction that is hearing a marijuana-related case against U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner. Cannabis is legal in many parts of the U.S., but remains illegal in Russia. Uh, quote, the American citizen Fogel has been found guilty, a court in Moscow, Moscow suburb of Kimki said in a statement. The news release said that the English teacher had committed large-scale drug smuggling in addition to large-scale illegal storage of drugs without a commercial purpose. So how many, how much drugs did he actually have? Well, Fogel says that Fogel was in his 60s, had around 17 grams or uh, about half an ounce, 0.6 ounces of cannabis in his luggage when he was caught on uh, the 15th of August, 2021. And then it was just earlier in the summer, actually, when he was um, found guilty and sentenced to 14 years in prison for this. And for whatever reason, you know, we hear all the hand-wringing and people are in tears over Brittany Griner, the basketball player, uh, but we don't hear much about Mark Fogel or any of the other American citizens, for that matter, who are in prisons, not just in Russia, but across the world for breaking the law or allegedly breaking the law in the countries where they were visiting or spending some time in. And that's the thing here. You know, it, this is, um, what well, we have to keep in mind that this is the law in Russia. And it has been since forever. 
And they've been doing this since forever. Where if you come into the country and you've got drugs and you're breaking their laws, they're going to throw the book at you. This is what they do. Because they take drugs very seriously in that country. Now, you don't have to like it, but what I can't, this is one of the reasons I haven't said much about this story, because when I first heard about it, I said, well, I mean, that's unfortunate to do nine years in prison in Russia. I wouldn't want to do that. But then again, I wouldn't be bringing any kind of drug paraphernalia or anything into Russia because I'm not an idiot. And it's, this is Russia we're talking about. This, this is not Los Angeles. And so you must, you must at some level know what you're doing, and yet you do it anyway because I guess you think, well, I, you know, I'm Brittany Griner. I'm a WNBA star, if such a term even makes sense. They're not going to do anything to me. And then you learn that, well, actually, they, they don't care about that over in Russia. And as far as their drug laws, and I know that we um, have heard a lot about how unjust and everything the drug laws are in Russia. Well, I should note that this might be part of the reason why their overdose fatality rate is a fraction of what ours is. We have one of the highest overdose rates in the world. I mean, we lead the world. That's one of the categories, one of the unfortunate categories where we are, you know, setting, setting, we're setting the benchmark in uh, overdose deaths. Well, not in Russia. I mean, theirs is infinitesimal in comparison to ours. It's a fraction of ours. And yeah, we have double the population that they have. But even taking into account, even if we looked at it per capita, still the overdose rate for them is quite a bit lower. And part of the reason for that, again, is that they just are not going to mess around with this stuff. If you get found with it, you're done and that's it. Um, now, the, we're supposed to take a, a lesson from this. And this, in fact, some, some people on the left have been saying that, uh, well, they've, they've kind of started to make what sounds like almost the same point and saying that, well, why, why are we talking about Brittany Griner when, when in fact there are, well, what about people in the, in the United States who are in jail on drug charges? So we need to take Russia as an example and do more of the opposite by making our drug laws even more relaxed. But I kind of take, uh, I, I have a very different takeaway. I take, I take the opposite lesson away from this. Which is just that if you actually have, I mean, it's one thing to say zero tolerance, but if you actually have a zero tolerance attitude towards drugs, and you're waging a real war on drugs, not just saying it, but an actual one, then you are going to see some of these problems mitigated to a certain extent. I mean, if you, if you punish an activity and you punish it severely and consistently, you will get less of that activity. That's just a fact of human nature. All right, let's see what else we got here. Um, a woman, uh, some of the other wire, a woman at an LGBT pride event in Pennsylvania cheered on a young boy working a stripper pole uh, a video posted by Libs of TikTok shows. Photos confirm the 30th annual Central Pennsylvania Pride celebration held in Harrisburg on uh, July 30th featured drag queens and a stripper pole. The event where the shocking video was sourced was taxpayer subsidized. I think we have the video of that. Let's play the, let's play the video here.
Now, this video was posted, I think, but the, the most important thing to keep in mind here uh, and to take from that is that the video was posted by not a, a concerned citizen who happened to be walking by and saw this happening, but uh, was posted by the boy's mother. And she said uh, she was very happy about this and put it up on TikTok. I think it's been taken down since then. That shows, by the way, the, the bubble these, these freaks live in, that she posted this video and didn't expect any backlash at all. I mean, she's got her young son on a stripper pole being taught how to strip by a almost entirely naked man at a gay pride rally. And she thought that she would get nothing but high fives and smiley emojis in response. And she got some backlash and then she deleted it. So she posted it and she said, uh, Central PA Pride had a poll set up with an amazing instructor to assist. My kiddo is a natural. You know, we hear about the groomers in the public school system. We hear about groomers in the media and academia and, and Hollywood and, and all these other institutions. And um, it is true that all these institutions do have a grooming problem, no question about it. But the really dark reality is that there's also a grooming problem in the institution of the family. In many of these families, that's where the grooming starts. And it's really unthinkable to those of us who are normal, decent people. It's like just unthinkable that a parent would engage in this kind of activity. A parent would groom their own child in this way, but that's what a lot of these parents do. Which is all the more reason why the good guys have to step up and speak up for these kids because they have no one. I mean, what, what, hope, what chance or hope does this kid have? That this is the environment he's in? This is what his mom is subjecting him to? I mean, someone should have showed up. And, and I get if you're a normal person, you don't even want to walk through an event like this. But were there no just bystanders who happened to be walking by and would have seen this and could have just went over to that stripper pole and knocked it over and said, you're not doing this here. This is not going to happen. I'm not going to allow you to do this. You're not putting kids on a stripper pole, you freaks. That's what we need. Someone to step up. Lots of us to step up, actually. Let's get now to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. You know, according to Feeding America, one in six children experience food insecurity. Food is obviously important to busy students studying, playing, and practicing all day before heading home. With rising inflation, food security could get even worse over the coming weeks and months. Our friends at Good Ranchers won't stand idly by while America's children go hungry, but they need our help. That's why they're on a mission to donate 100,000 high-quality meals this month to children in need. Help them reach their goal by ordering your next box at goodranchers.com Walsh. Good Ranchers will donate a nutritious meal to a child in need for every box ordered through August 31st. Help them donate 100,000 meals and get $30 off plus free shipping at goodranchers.com Walsh. All right, lots of comments, and you might notice a theme in these comments. I don't know, it's a little bit subtle, but first comment is, you cannot just make a man a giant walrus and not give it to him. This is disgusting. Hashtag give Matt his walrus. Katie says, everyone at the Daily Wire needs to be arrested for causing Matt Walsh anxiety due to his lack of giant walruses. Crystal says, why can't I have my walrus? Matt is asking the real questions in life. Ross Carpenter says, 
Knowing Matt's wife had never heard of Reddit is the best thing I've heard all week. Also, Matt, if you can't get your walrus, then I cannot support you as a theocratic dictator. Get it done. Jay San Pizza Man says, if Matt doesn't show up on camera tomorrow with a giant plush walrus, the entire DW staff is canceled. Hashtag give Matt his walrus. The Magic Wish says, I couldn't stop laughing when Matt said, yeah, I want my walrus. Give the man his dang walrus. Dustin says, Matt, there's literally nothing more important in the world than getting your walrus. The sweet baby gang shall not rest until DW fulfills its responsibility to our sweet daddy. Um, Marcelo says, a thousand episodes, second set of twins. What is a woman? Johnny the Walrus, one million subscribers. I mean, what's left? Just give sweet daddy Walsh the person of the year award right now. Thanks for all you do. Well, what's left, Marcelo, is my walrus, um, which I still have not been given. As you can see, you can look around in this beautiful studio and there's lots of space in this studio. It is quite spacious. Okay, this is, this is not my car anymore, and it's not the closet they had me in before. Um, there's plenty of places where a walrus would fit. And yet, if you could see for yourself, no walrus is here. I do appreciate how the Sweet Baby Gang has mobilized around this issue um, and spoken out so passionately about that. It, it is very meaningful to me, and I assure you that. And I, and I'm, but I'm going to need you to continue to cry out in one shared voice Give Matt his walrus. Uh, the giant stuffed walrus was made for me. It belongs to me by all rights. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. I will have my walrus in this life or the next. Preferably in this life, though. I will say, I, made, I did make a mistake, I have to admit. I, I made the mistake, and I can't believe, this is like a rookie mistake. I can't believe I did this. But it really, it was just, I was so, I'm so excited about the walrus and, the, and, and, and you know, the knowledge that eventually I will be given it. And so I wanted to show my wife. I showed my wife a picture of the giant walrus and said, "We're gonna, I'm bringing this home soon, okay? Once I find it, I'm bringing this home. And she looked at it, and she said that if I bring that thing home, I could no longer ever complain about all the pillows she buys. And I said, this isn't a pillow. It's a walrus, thank you. And she said that the walrus will take up a lot more room than the pillows, though. And I said, well, that's an incredibly reductive, like degrading way to look at the giant stuffed walrus, taking up room? There are many spaces in our home, many nooks and crannies that are not really being used for anything. Why shouldn't there be a walrus in those spaces? So, so the better question is not, like, the burden of proof isn't on me, okay? The better question is, don't, don't ask me, well, why do we need this walrus? It's, it, no, I think the question is, why don't we have one already? Okay, we've been married for almost 11 years, and through 11 years, not once have I brought a giant stuffed walrus home. And I bring one home in 11 years and it's a problem? Makes no sense. Anyway, doesn't matter. I want my walrus and I want it now. And I will have it. Today is a Tuesday like no other because this is the 1,000th episode of the Matt Wall Show. You know what they say, if you make woke leftists the object of your contemptuous ridicule, then you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's a saying somewhere. That's true of the show, and that's certainly true when it comes to my documentary, What is a Woman? It has more than 5,000 audience ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and even five reviews from critics who are brave enough to touch it. Uh, this month, we, um, the month rather that we released What is a Woman, The Daily Wire gained more members than at any other time in our history. Just goes to show that if you make something worth watching, unlike most Hollywood movies and drag queen story hours, everything else, people will watch in droves. If you haven't seen it yet, Go to whatisawoman.com to watch right now. That's whatisawoman.com. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, I wanted to leave a little extra time for this today. Um, important 
issue, slightly more important than the, uh, the walrus, if anything could be. Back in May, uh, a trans activist and influencer by the name of Eli Ehrlich announced a felony conspiracy on Instagram. Ehrlich excitedly told 40,000 plus followers about a brilliant plan to circumvent state laws banning doctors from prescribing hormones to gender-confused minors. Ehrlich's genius scheme, which was laid out in strenuous detail and remained published on Instagram for nearly three months before libs of TikTok finally noticed it and reposted it to Twitter, the scheme was to gather leftover prescription hormone pills and mail them to anyone who wants them. No questions asked, we're told. Here was the actual uh, post. It said, there are over 20 states trying to criminalize hormone therapy, particularly for trans youth. So my friends and I had an idea, sending out our extra prescriptions around the country. If you need hormones, I'm working with a distribution network to get you access. Everything is free, no questions asked. We have hundreds of doses of testosterone, um, estradiol, and uh, spironolactone, I think is whatever it is. Uh, all that is available right now. All are prescribed by doctors and unused. Each package comes with information on dosage, obtaining blood work, etc. I realize this is a Band-Aid solution. We need full access to affirmative medical care for professionals immediately. However, missing a single dose of hormones can be devastating, especially for trans teens and those new to hormones. These laws are outrageous, and I can't wait for them to be overturned. In the meantime, DM me if you need HRT or if you have over-prescribed over hormones that you'd like to send out. Now, in a response to a question posed by a follower, Ehrlich confirmed that this black market drug network can realistically ship to anywhere in North America, which means that the drug smuggling operation is international. This is not a new thing either. In September, Ehrlich made something of an anniversary post on Instagram celebrating 11 years on hormones in commemoration of the big event. And as a wise old trans sage dispensing morsels of wisdom, Ehrlich shared 11 mantras for hormone use. And mantra six was, redistribute your extra hormones to people who can't access slash afford them. This mantra, by the way, was explained in a YouTube video posted a few months earlier where Ehrlich offers what looks and sounds like a confession that you'd hear during the plea bargain phase at trial. Uh, let's listen. Every month for the past several years, I've ordered a double dose of hormones and testosterone blockers. I save all the extra pills for my best friends, my closest lovers, and my worst enemies. I just hope these little pills can bring some joy into their life. I have the opportunity to give life-saving medication to people who need it. And it basically costs me nothing. A few months ago, I posted on Instagram asking for testosterone for a friend who actually already had a prescription. His doctor was out of town and he couldn't get a new one. Within hours, my story was taken down and I received a warning by the administrators. Now, of course, I know it's against Instagram rules to share substances and I wasn't particularly surprised that it was removed. But I was still upset. So yeah, I know it's illegal, duh. So was changing my social security to female without medical treatment. So was crossing the street outside my apartment instead of using the crosswalk. Oh yeah. I mean, jaywalking is exactly like trafficking in prescription pills illegally, right? Now, in that video, having apparently only just developed this fetish for announcing federal crimes on the internet, Ehrlich was a little more cautious. There's a disclaimer, quote unquote, early on, claiming that the whole thing is merely hypothetical. 
But after getting a little taste of self-incrimination and having apparently enjoyed it so much, Ehrlich became far more brash and bold in subsequent pronouncements, leading up finally to the Instagram announcement in which the whole drug distribution enterprise is laid out in detail. Yet, as acknowledged in the clip that we just played, all of this is illegal. It is, in fact, so illegal that it would be impossible for me to count all the laws that it breaks. It is illegal to share your prescription medication with anyone who it was not prescribed for. It is illegal to facilitate the exchange of other people's prescription drugs. It is illegal to ship controlled substances through the mail. It is illegal to distribute drugs across state lines. It is illegal to send them to other countries. All of these drugs are illegal for anyone who is not a doctor or pharmacist to distribute, period. And for good reason. The substances being shipped across the country by Ehrlich's ragtag group of drug peddlers are dangerous, potent, laden with potentially severe side effects, and they make irreversible changes to your body. In participating in this scheme, not just participating, but organizing it, Ehrlich has violated dozens of state laws, federal laws, and international laws, making the perp here uh, eligible for decades in federal prison. This has been done and talked about openly on every available platform, yet up to this moment, there has been not so much as an Instagram suspension in response, much less a raid by the DEA. Why? Well, because Eli Ehrlich is in a privileged class, the most privileged class that has ever existed in the West. That's why the confessed drug trafficker responded so brazenly when I first started tweeting about this issue on Friday after libs of TikTok reported on it. Um, and I started tweeting about it and talking about it. And, and uh, from Ehrlich, there was never any denial. Still to this point, no denial. None. Instead, Ehrlich defended the criminal activity, telling me that these drugs are life-saving medications. Which is just more confirmation that you're doing what it appears that you're doing, which is illegally uh, distributing the drugs. When I remarked that this response may be the first time in my life that someone has tried to dunk on me by publicly confessing to a federal crime, Ehrlich replied, it's an honor, Matt. Ehrlich also thanked us for advertising, quote unquote, the trafficking operation and fully embraced the label drug smuggler. Said it might go in the, uh, in the bio. Now, it should be noted for what it's worth that Ehrlich was slightly less excited to embrace the label accused sexual abuser, threatening to sue me for libel when I, repost, when I reposted reports from other outlets, noting that Ehrlich has, along with being a confessed drug smuggler, uh, has indeed been accused of sexual assault by multiple alleged victims. And, you know, that's, that's a fact. That's, that's the news there. That's the, the accusation has been made. I don't know if it's true or not, but there was the accusation. So I suppose we can add the law to the list of things this person does not begin to understand thinking that I could be sued for libel for reposting a news report. But no surprise coming from someone who casually captions their selfies with criminal conspiracy confessions. But go ahead and file your lawsuit, Eli. I, I have, I, please do. I have a feeling that discovery might be a very interesting process. Now, Eli, I admit that um, you have some justification for being so brazen. After all, you've never been held accountable for anything in your entire life. You are privileged and spoiled, and literally never in your life have you been held accountable for anything. So why should that change now? I mean, why should justice catch up with you now, you ask? Well, part of the reason why people like you skate by enjoying your own set of rules is that so often 
people like the rest of us have grown to simply accept this absurd state of affairs. There's no reason why the system would punish someone like you if, if nobody even bothers to demand it because we assume it's not going to happen. And maybe that assumption would be correct. I mean, maybe nothing much will happen, even if we do demand it. Or maybe you would actually be made to face some sort of consequence for the first time in your life. Either way, we're going to find out. Because I am not going to simply accept that being trans makes you above the law. Even less am I going to accept the illegal distribution of dangerous drugs to minors. I'm not going to let this go or shrug my shoulders and say, well, nothing we can do and move on. Uh, No, no more of that. I'm going to use the resources at my disposal, which are considerably greater than the resources at your disposal, to make sure that justice is done here. Why? Well, because you're distributing dangerous drugs to minors across the country, and this is only the tip of the iceberg. Thanks to predators like yourself, kids have many avenues for obtaining these substances without any doctor's approval, much less parental consent. This is what parents have to worry about now, that their children will, in secret, begin to medically transition with the help of drugs they obtained through Instagram. Now, I doubt that you're the country's most prolific illegal distributor of prescription drugs, but you are the one that we're going to make an example of, because we have to start somewhere. Also, Eli, I should note that I just don't like your attitude. I think you need some humility in your life. And I, I am generous enough to help you develop that virtue. So here's what's going to happen. I want anyone concerned about this criminal activity to do the responsible thing and report it to the relevant authorities. If you see something, say something. How many times have we been told that? And let's start with the DEA. You can easily find the link on Google, but here is the URL. We'll put it up on the screen for you. DEA.gov slash submit dash tip. From there, you can submit a tip, either anonymously or not. It's up to you. And you can note that there is someone by the name of Eli Ehrlich who has announced an intention um, to participate in the illegal distribution of prescription drugs across the country. We're not finished. Ehrlich, despite not understanding math, statistics, the law, or for that matter, human biology, is a PhD candidate at the University of California, Santa Cruz. The university ought to know and ought to act upon the fact that one of their PhDs is an admitted drug trafficker. So yesterday, I reached out personally to the chancellor of the university, Cynthia K. Larive, to ask her about this matter, and I haven't heard back yet. Now, I'm going to give her the rest of today to respond and to explain what steps are being taken to address this very troubling situation. But if I still could not get a hold of her after today, then it will be my duty and responsibility as a citizen to share the publicly available contact information for the university administration and encourage all of my thousands of listeners and viewers and the millions who follow me on social media to call an email demanding that the university take action. I hope it doesn't come to that, and, but, but I have a feeling that it will. After all, the university said nothing earlier in the summer when Ehrlich posted a tweet calling for the assassination of Supreme Court justices. They, remind, they remained silent then too. But silence will not be an option anymore. What is it that, that they say again? Oh, a silence is violence. We're not done yet. Ehrlich, having used social media and Instagram in particular to coordinate this criminal activity, should be indefinitely suspended. There has rarely been a more deserving candidate for deplatforming, as this account is an actual danger to children. Reason enough for a permanent ban. 
So we'll walk you through the steps to file your report with Instagram. Uh, you go to Instagram, first go to Eli Ehrlich's page, then hit the three little dots, dots at the top of, right of the screen and select report. And from there, select report account and then select it's posting content that shouldn't be on Instagram and then select sale of illegal or regulated goods and finally drugs. Everyone listening to me right now should do that. What should happen from here is that Eli is kicked out of school, deplatformed, arrested, and put under criminal investigation by both federal and state authorities. That's what should happen. That would be the just and right result here. Will any of that happen? Well, there's only one way to find out. And even if every institution decides to accept Ehrlich's trans-your-way-out-of-jail-free card, a very distinct possibility, after all, these institutions are ideologically, ideologically captured, as previously established, but even still, at least by using all of our platforms to amplify this story, we can ensure that whenever anyone Googles this person in the future, potential employers or anybody else, they will immediately see that Eli Ehrlich is a confessed drug peddler. This is already working. We've already prompted several news outlets, including Fox, to cover the scandal. And um, we're going to continue because we can make sure that this creep is branded by these admitted crimes for eternity. And that's something at least. But most of all, we can send a message that we do not accept the hierarchy that our society has put in place. We are not going to bow our heads submissively as the privileged classes break the law and harm our children at will. We're just not. We're going to fight back. And that's what this is. And that is also why Eli Ehrlich, who again has confessed to distributing drugs illegally across the country to minors, is canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Jeff Tomlin. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022.